Well, uh, after that long echo, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Bert the Turtle, urging you to duck and cover because (laughs) art fair is approaching. Art fair is approaching. That is a reason to duck and cover. And needless to say, perhaps uh, a new Cold War is starting to emerge with the Soviet Union. Indeed. Only this time it's Russia. I think Maureen Dowd put it perfectly. <coughs> Putin has put the Putin back into Rasputin. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, uh, last week was uh, saw all sorts of uh, strange events and uh, the usual uh, criminality uh, on display. Um, I'm sure we can turn to Bush's uh, declaration of progress in Iraq. That's uh, <laughs> mind-boggling. Eight points out of uh, how many? Well, eight, eight points out of 18, and one of the most remarkable ones under the heading of mixed, uh, the uh, the government reports, this is from uh, senior administration officials, reports that reducing the level of sectarian violence in Iraq is satisfactory. <laughs> this is unbelievable. That's uh, great inflation right there. I mean, uh, the reason for this report, the reported improvement, is they take a big high of sectarian killings in January that totaled a startling 1,650. And uh, basically, that that was in, uh, that was, uh, in uh, Baghdad, I guess. And I'll just read this quote. It says, The documents which were shown to the New York Times said that sectarian killings in Baghdad declined to 300 in June from 1,650 in January. Nationally, sectarian violence uh, killings declined to 650 in June from 2100 in January. So they take a previous high and associate that with improvement. Uh, That's remarkable to call that satisfactory. That's just one example of distortion. Um, But yeah, I... you know, we have the reemergence of Richard Nixon in the news, <laughs> the National Archives, with some interesting tapes. And I guess we can just start out with John McCain. I mean, he uh, obviously... Yeah, that's something I didn't really deal with last week. You know, week. whatever, with his uh, his campaign is in free fall and all that. But it was remarkable that last Monday, I think it was Monday, I was on the road. Might have been Tuesday. Anyway, he... Uh, he made a statement or a speech on the uh, Senate floor about the improvements that he had observed in Iraq. He'd made his 10th trip or something like that. And then he began associating withdrawing from Iraq with the uh, genocide that occurred in Cambodia in the late 70s, completely omitting that the United States overthrew Prince Sihanouk that created the civil war that led to the genocide. In other words, he, he leaves out all of the relevant history in making his point. And it's this sort of, uh, shall we say, selective memory, or in his case, amnesia, that's uh, very troubling. Um, Because once again, um, and this is just from a recent recent report, Iraq is, is viewed globally as the second, no, no, number two failed state in the world. And that's because America invaded and overthrew the government and now is responsible for total chaos. 
total chaos. And and when you look at the uh, the areas where they they deem things satisfactory, I mean, these are remarkably minor things. Protecting the rights of minority political parties in the Iraqi legislature. That's satisfactory. Yeah. Spending reconstruction money. This is remarkable. I mean, there's been nothing but report after report claiming reconstruction money has not been spent. It's been pilfered. It's been given to Blackwater and Kellogg Brown and Root and Halliburton. Well, and it's been spent on bizarre things like the repainting of rooms rather than the reconstruction of uh, basic infrastructure such as water and electrical grids. So, I mean, to call spending reconstruction money satisfactory is... Uh, that is just unbelievable. It's not even credible. Um, so the Bush administration had better uh, uh, better eliminate that one from the list, I would say. Um, just a couple of other strange things. They say outline, outlining procedures in which provinces can turn uh, semi-autonomous regions like Kurdistan. What? <laughs> What, what, you know, procedures, it's great that the procedures have been outlined, but it uh, really doesn't mean anything. And, of course, you know, we just get report after report that the uh, their actual trained troops that are ready to, as Bush so famously put it, uh, we will stand down as they stand up. It's nowhere evident. At all, folks, and and probably yeah. some of the reason of the decline of sectarian violence is, yeah, there's been a readjustment by some of the uh, factional groups. And, of course, Bush and Tony Snow get back into the uh, repeated use of the word al-Qaeda to describe all of the problems in Iraq, and uh, uh, it's a mess. And uh, George Bush seems to be the last one to know this. Well, John McCain's a little slow on the pickup there, too, to bring it back to your comments on on him. You know, a year ago, he was pretty much expected to probably end up being the next president, um, or at least certainly the uh, Republican uh, candidate. Um, Who knows if he'll have some sort of road to Damascus, pun intended, uh, epiphany, Mm -hmm. um, and suddenly realize that uh, he's going to have to say that he's against the war to become seen as electable. Some interesting stuff about uh, uh, financial supporters who've jumped boat from the uh, Republicans to uh, Hillary that uh, I can comment about in a minute. But I I wanted to mention briefly this sort of uh, tit-for-tat between al-Maliki and uh, senators and congressmen over the weekend. yeah, because he's sort of taking the position that he thinks that, that their troops are ready. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's going to leave anytime you anytime want. Anytime you want is the actual quote, which is quite refreshing to see such, uh, such a term used. Um, and one of uh, Maliki's top aides, uh, if I can find the name here, um, Hassan al-Sanaid, who is uh, one of Maliki's close advisors, um, goes on to say that the situation looks in Iraq looks as if it is an experiment in an American laboratory, whether we succeed or fail. Um, there are also criticisms by this advisor that the U.S. overtures to Sunni groups in Anbar and Diyala provinces encouraging former insurgents to join the fight against al-Qaeda in Iraq. And uh, these are gangs of killers. 
uh, quote unquote. So yeah, Al Maliki says that the troops can leave whenever we want. But some of the comments in response to this, uh, as reported uh, by Andrew Ward in the Financial Times, U.S. politicians unite on anger over Maliki. Um, Hillary has the moxie to say that maybe we want freedom for Iraqis more than they want it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's just such a bizarre phrase because they didn't want Saddam, but of course we propped him up, supplied him, et cetera, et cetera, for decades. Uh, they didn't want Saddam to be overthrown in the way that he was because of the you know destabilization and uh, complete chaos that has resulted. What do those Iraqi people want? I just don't know, but boy... They cannot expect to have any more of our aid unless they begin to do what they must do to take care of themselves. It's like a parent talking to a child. You have to clean up your room or you're not going to have pudding tonight. If you can't eat your meat, how can you have your pudding? Well, perhaps the the uh, what do the Iraqis want should appear in the self-help section of the book, the bookstore, <laughs> you know, reminiscent of what do women want? You know? Yeah. <laughs> what do men want? Tony Snow, of course, though, always has a good word. And he defends the Iraqi parliament's month-long break, pointing out that August temperatures in Baghdad can reach 54 Celsius. Well, the Financial Times puts it in Celsius. It's probably 120 or something Fahrenheit for us uh, folks here in the land of freedom. Um, Critics, of course, note in response to Snow's comments that U.S. troops would have no such respite from the savage heat. Um, of course, this is true. Our own government takes a lengthy summer break. Sure. This is not unusual. Washington um, is hot in, in it's uh, very hot late in July and steamy. August. Yeah. And I actually had occasion just this last weekend to visit briefly with a former student who's just returned from a tour of duty in Afghanistan. And um, no, it doesn't sound very pleasant. No. Indeed. But, you know, what do those Iraqi people want? Well, the, yeah, the unfortunate thing is there's just a hodgepodge of political debates occurring on this. And, of course, there was a symbolic, de- uh, you know, cloture vote last week. And, you know, the ultimate problems, you know, the House has already passed a uh, withdrawal bill. But, of course, in the House, it's 50 plus one. The other numbers that are crucial are, of course, 60 to cut off these amendment debates in the Senate. Mm. And then, of course, 67, because uh, George Bush is going to veto any... Uh, withdrawal plan that's got timetables in it. Um, we've pointed out before that he wants the war to continue until give it, January. Give it more time. More time. More patience. More patience. That's what he was saying last week, and I thought to myself, patience, you've got the homonym wrong there, right. my friend. <laughs> We're not talking patience with a C. We're talking about patience with an N-T. More Iraqi patience in the hospital. Um, Not to mention U.S. maimed. U.S. maimed, and, and yeah, it's it's just an endless uh, thing. And then, of course, the budget uh, regarding the Iraq-Afghanistan uh, situation is put off budget. Bush last week uh, had a little news conference and, uh, of course, tried to brag about the improvement on the deficit uh, with the unbelievable statement, the low policy, the policies of low taxes and spending restraint have produced a clear and measurable record of success, quote unquote. Uh, this is the uh, 
budget office reported uh, that the deficit next year will be uh, somewhere in the range of 150 billion. Um, actually, they're 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 technically this is the next fiscal year, but uh, the new estimates from the Treasury Department projected the deficit for this fiscal year ending September 30th at 205 billion down from 248 billion last year. The problem with all of this, of course, ladies and gentlemen, is that the numbers that the budget uh, that the president is using are all phony. Uh, first of all, uh, just to quote from a real expert who's actually a, an accountant, uh, he points out that in 2006, the federal government received $182 billion more in Social Security taxes than it paid out. So it's taking that $185 billion and applying it to the deficit, when, of course, the Social Security is presumably a uh, sort of public pension system for the elderly. He goes on to point out, and in an editorial that, uh, that appeared in the New York Times on the 6th of February by Stephen Ratner, um, and I'll just quote this uh, paragraph or two because I think it's particularly relevant to any discussion about the deficit. Uh, don't be confused by f phony numbers. Or what was the uh, Bush uh, expression? Fuzzy, fuzzy math. math. Fuzzy math. Uh, it's very fuzzy with Mr. Bush. Uh, and fuzzy wuzzy, I don't think was a bear. <laughs> <laughs> I think fuzzy wuzzy was Carl Rove, was he? <laughs> He's been everywhere. He seems to have his... Fingerprints all over all sorts of ongoing scandals uh, that are currently under investigation by, it seems, everybody but the Justice Department, which is safely under the uh, <laughs> hegemony of uh, Alberto Gonzalez, or don't call me Gonzo. Or Gonzalo, yes. He is the ultimate yes man. But anyway, back to Stephen Ratner. He says, even if we adjust properly for pensions and entitlements, we would leave unaddressed the largest financing gap unheralded by President Bush yesterday. And this was in reference to some deficit numbers that he was throwing around several months ago. By some estimates, $39 trillion would have to be set aside now to pay for Social Security, Medicare, and similar benefits that have already been promised. Just a year ago, those uh, future obligations were $3 trillion less. This is in reference to the uh, senior drug benefit um, plan that President Bush came out with a little over a year ago. Taken as a whole, the federal government's commitments have grown from $20 trillion in 2000 to $50 trillion today. This is, these are staggering numbers. And by the way, Medicare is, uh, is a program that when they when they show uh, actuarial projections of its solvency, uh, we're talking you know very near future here. We're going to have serious Medicare problems. It's about a decade. The solvency of Medi Medicare under President Bush has gone down about ten years while he's been in office. Decade is really poor timing because as you know, people our age know yeah. uh, the the demographic of the baby boom. Large numbers of people beginning to retire. It gets scary uh, 10 years from now. And, of yeah. course, Bush is the beneficiary, actually, of a decline in population that occurred during the Great Depression. And just, you know, somebody that was in the news last week because of the passing of Lady Bird Johnson, 
Uh, Ratner continues, when President Johnson created the unified budget for the 1969 fiscal year, the ultimate effect was to turn a deficit of $507 million. I mean, that's just staggering. Even back then it was $507 million. Now it's hundreds of billions into a surplus of $3.2 billion. So our budgetary sleight of hand obscures hundreds of billions of shortfalls uh, of dollars. And, of course, Johnson per- performed this uh, magnificent uh, budgetary trick because of the Vietnam War. Right. It's that old, uh, the costs just kept going up. Uh, there weren't any benefits occurring. <laughs> and uh, he knew he had a loser on his hand. But as he famously put to some of his advisors, I don't want to be the, the first president in American history to lose a war. So he kept the war going, and his uh, fellow Texan, George Bush, uh, will do much the same. And unfortunately, there's no figure in the Bush administration as admirable as Lady Bird Johnson, who at least uh, gave us wildflowers. <laughs> and, and those nasty billboards were cut down to size. So oh, we, we praised yeah. Lady Bird Johnson just for doing something humanly decent. Certainly something that uh, is rare enough in the uh, crime world of big business and politics. But, uh, boy, speaking of crime waves and big business, uh, some interesting developments in possible skirmishing, if we can call it that, of uh, trade war activity between China and uh, the U.S. Some really strange things have gone on recently. Um Last week, an article in the Financial Times uh, details an execution in China of the ex-chief of Food and Drug Mm -hmm. Administration. Um, This guy was found guilty of uh, receiving all sorts of kickbacks and payoffs from eight pharmaceutical companies and uh, various other shenanigans. Uh, There's been some problems lately with Chinese food products being tainted and uh, making people here sick. And so uh, now we're no longer receiving those. And so China has said, well, certain American products are no longer allowed into China. Tyson is and their fabulous frozen meat dinner type thingies. We'll call them thingies. Um, are no longer chicken allowed pro- in chicken products. Chicken products are no longer allowed in China. So this is bizarre. But I mean, wow. they Undoubtedly actually- containing modified cornstarch, too. No, no doubt. <laughs> and corn syrup. Yeah, because there's plenty of uh, corn products that uh, we need to discuss briefly here, too. But uh, while I've never been an enthusiast for executions, uh, it, it's interesting to see a, you know, a white-collar, high-ranking government official actually become executed for a failure to responsibly do his job. And, you know, one can only wonder, uh, would Dick Cheney be so hesitant to pass over those secret energy meeting files that he's been so jealously guarding if he knew that the American people had the option to execute him over his complete failure to open the books and, as a public servant if indeed he is a public servant, which I think we all know that he isn't, um, share with us what transpired at those meetings. Well, I'm sure that, I, I don't know that Dick Cheney has received actual kickbacks or briberies, but he certainly benefited from the war in Iraq financially. And of course, that's uh, very troubling. Uh, last week, we had this uh, prominent... Um, 
white collar newspaper crook, a sort of Robert Maxwell, yeah. Rupert Murdoch uh, wannabe, uh, convicted um, in with financial shenanigans, Conrad Black. Conrad Black, and yeah. uh, he's uh, really a fascinating character. Um, an analysis of Conrad Black appeared in the London Review of Books back on the 14th of December, and I would uh, by uh, John. Uh, Lanchester, I would recommend this for a material for a novel. This guy uh, was uh, incorrigible in terms of how he set up these shell corporations. And his uh, his way to the top is fascinating. Uh, apparently he had, uh, to quote from uh, the um, John Lanchester Review, he had an excellent memory and was not afraid to use it. Lists of Swedish kings, Spanish ships, and the Armada Minor Napoleonic generals. Any one of these could be a topic of conversation. This is how he sort of weaseled his way into the top. Apparently he had a real fascination with Napoleon, of all things. Um, maybe he was a short guy. I don't really know <laughs> his height. But um, it seems that he and his uh, last wife literally pilfered uh, millions and millions of dollars from this uh, shell, these shell corporations that... Uh, he set up, and these are fascinating. This is just a fascinating. It's it's sort of too complicated to go into all the gory details, but uh, I recommend the article in the London Review of Books, which you can get online, lrb.uk, uh, the fourteenth of December two thousand and six, um, because uh, it's fascinating. Um, I'll just read a, a brief paragraph of how these things work, because it's, uh, it's capitalism at its, its best. And the title of the uh, article, or the review, by the way, is Other People's Capital, because it basically details how Conrad Black floated a uh, public offering of his private company, essentially, and then literally stole all the money. Henry Kissinger, by the way, was on the board of directors of the uh -huh. Hollinger incorporated organization this is essentially how it worked the first problem derived from a complexity of the ownership structure hollinger's international the public uh, company quoted on nasdaq in new york was controlled by hollinger incorporated a public company based in toronto 78 percent of whose shares were owned by ravelston a private company belonging 65.1 percent to black and 14% to Radler. Radler, by the way, pleaded guilty uh, to a lesser charge and uh, is going to prison for 29 months in Canada as a prosecution witness, uh, um, unable to obtain a, a commutation from George Bush. He's going to jail. <laughs> Black was chairman of all three companies, Hollinger Incorporated, the Ravelston, and... Uh, could choose their directors, and in addition to the executive directors of Hollinger, were not employees of Hollinger, but were paid via management fees to Ravelston. Ravelston, by the way, was this company that he inherited essentially from his father uh, when his father, quote, fell down the banister uh, back in 1976. He may have committed suicide. Did he fall or was he pushed? <laughs> yeah. Conrad saw it happen. Quote, life is hell. Um, he died later that night, and it's no surprise to learn that Black has had troubles with depression ever since. Sounds like a murder to me. 
<laughs> and Black was already uh, sort of a struggling newspaper man in Canada back uh, before this uh, turn of events that turned him, at least temporarily, into a somewhat wealthy guy. But his his problem was he bought a newspaper in uh, in Great Britain that was reliably Tory and competed uh, in the sort of tabloid news business with Murdoch, hmm. the Daily Telegraph. Um, and at the time, it was basically all debt. Uh, and, of course, the article goes on to note that by 2003, Conrad Black needed another bank loan. So it was a guy that never had the money, but was constantly borrowing money and then spending it lavishly on his lifestyle with his uh, rather... Um, iniquitous wife who uh, comes across also as a very interesting character. She apparently was a sort of a, pol- a poltergeist kind of character. <laughs> a right-wing journalist that uh, <laughs> appeared in the op-ed pages of the uh, of the uh, newspaper back in London. This reviewer, by the way, worked for the paper and he notes that he uh, did some art reviews for the uh, the company, and he at one point says uh, the general view of Black was that there that he was a bumptious, fond of writing letters to his own paper, and at the sound of his own bo- voice. But notwithstanding the things he'd say about journalists, a very degenerate group, quote unquote, a pretty good proprietor, as proprietors go. The great exception was that was uh, Barbara Emile, that is his for uh, his uh, wife. Conrad Black, by the way, was apparently her fourth husband. Uh, terrible column on the op-ed pages, any mention of which would cause Telegraph sta- staffers to clutch their heads and groan in unsimulated pain. Anyone could see that the Blacks were greedy and excessive, but those qualities have long since ceased to be unusual in British public figures. For all of Black's ultra-right-wing blowhardism, his fascination with Napoleon, and his overt longing for peerage... He seemed sane and reasonable at heart, and there was no reason to think anything untoward. And uh, it's fascinating because he made his reputation in America a little bit because of an interesting long biography of FDR in which he praised the uh, New Deal as a good thing because it saved capitalism, but also, of course, it goes into the elaborate theory that uh, FDR knowingly allowed Pearl Harbor to happen, uh, and that continues to be a matter of debate. So Conrad Black, needless to say, will be appealing his sentence, and uh, all of this, uh, all of these corporate shenanigans are something to keep an eye on. Because, uh, as the uh, author of this review notes, notes, he says the bust of 1987 led to the conviction of Michael Milken, and the bust of 2000 led to Skilling, Ebers, Kozlowski at Tyco, and, and also Black's case. He concludes, yet such scandals never occur while the market is booming. Go figure. So it's or, when that big crash happens, yeah. then people start wondering where their money is. Right, exactly, because it's probably happening all along anyway. It's interesting, too, uh, the language there that the writer has used is, is quite nice. I love the description of uh, how he seemed sane and reasonable. And it's, it's astonishing how many major criminals seem sane and reasonable it reminds me of something i had occasion to just be flipping through the channels this weekend 
and uh, the McLaughlin group was on. And they're always good for a laugh for about four minutes, mm-hmm. and then you've had enough. And uh, Ariana Huffington uh, performing as the voice of reason, quote unquote, uh, suggested that President Bush was a fanatic mm-hmm. with regards to the war in the Middle East. And uh, she went on for a little bit on that point. Pat Buchanan, always reliable in a pinch, came up with one of the most bizarre characterizations of the current president that I have ever heard. He said he's not a fanatic. What he is is serene and fatalistic. (laughs) And I just burst into laughter. Wow. Serene and fatalistic. Very generous language from, uh, let's face it, Pat Buchanan is uh, uh, something of a manipulator and a showboater with language himself, uh, having written speeches for Agnew and Nixon. And Reagan. And Reagan. Um, So he's a good man in a tight corner (laughs) for uh, defending right-wing lunacy. And, of course, he's got his own personal dislike of Bush for a variety of reasons. Oh, indeed. But, of course, one of the most amusing things over the week was the reemergence of Richard Nixon. Uh, more uh, 11 hours of uh, Nixon tapes have been released in the National Archives. I'm waiting for the box set. And, of course, this one is wonderful, uh, this one that I'm going to quote here. In, in the document written in December of 1970 to H.R. Haldeman, Nixon expresses both anger and pain that his aides have not been able to establish an image of him as a warm and caring person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm angry and in pain that you can't depict me as caring and warm. He makes several suggestions about how this could be accomplished, warning frequently in the single-spaced 11-page document that that it uh, must appear that examples of his warmth are discovered by others and not promoted by the White House. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 11 page document yes um he writes that quote there are innumerable examples of warm items he wrote saying that he had been nicey nicey to the cabinet staff that's the actual quote that's the actual quote <laughs> and congress around christmas time well there you go <laughs> he is warm and caring <laughs> and then he had treated cabinet and sub-cabinet Officials, quote, like dignified human beings. And not like the scum that they really are. Yeah, and not dirt under my feet. <laughs> so this is just absolutely classic Nixon. It goes into the usual uh, observations about other political figures and uh, paranoia about um, Jews, needless to say. And um, yeah, He had a track record there as well. Yeah, it's just classics. Uh, classic Nixonian um, balderdash, but uh, you got to remember when Nixon was nicey nicey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that on Santa's list. <laughs> it's great. Well, it looks like we're just about out of time for uh, this week. Uh, and of course, the idea of Nixon sitting around worried about his image of being warm and caring is. <laughs> oh, it, it it just it breaks my heart. It just it's hits so me. sad. It's so sad. Lonely. Shrinky Dick strikes again. Yeah. Next week, more on Pakistan as well. More on Pakistan. Yeah, keep your eye on that. There's been a variety of uh, terrorist attacks there in the last several days. Serious stuff. Uh, Al-Qaeda seems to be everywhere. (laughs) 